Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 40. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This, is perfu this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go to the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he, <clears throat> he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant for which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, 
you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Good morning. Oh, really loud today. Okay. I brought something that is very valuable. Anybody know what I have here? A check. Right. What could I do with the check? Write it to you. Okay. Uh, what else could I do with the check? Say it again. Pretty much anything I want. anything I want to, if I were to write a check for a million dollars, would that be okay? You don't know, that's right. But I can tell you that if I wrote a check for a million dollars, the bank would say, yeah, no, not happening, <laughs> not happening. Um, but whatever I use my check for, as long as I have money in the bank, the check is worth something. If I don't have anything in the bank, this is just a piece of paper. It has no value. But it's what's in the bank that gives the paper value. Well, I was thinking about this very long scripture this week and what I could talk about about it. I had about three for chapter 25. Chapter 26, a little more tricky. However, I was thinking about things that have value that seem very insignificant at, on the outside. One of the things we talk about in school a lot right now is symbols. We're talking about symbols in our literature. And I thought about the fact that my check is a symbol for the money that's in my bank. It's a promise. I write on here, I'm going to pay this much money to whoever, and it's a promise that when they take it to the bank, there'll be money there. And then I thought about the, the communion stuff that we have here. We have this not normally what we've had because of COVID, but um, this little bit of sort of bread and this sort of half a sip of juice. Very insignificant little things. They have no value, really. I mean, even to buy the whole case of them is pretty inexpensive. So there's not a lot of value here. Nobody's going to break into the church to seal these. I can tell you that much. But when I was looking at the scripture here, and it reminded me that Jesus' last meal, his last dinner, his last supper, 
with his disciples. It wasn't his last meal. He's a big guy at breakfast yet. But his last dinner, his last supper meal, was a Passover meal. And during Passover, they celebrate what? What do they remember during Passover? Okay, when the death angel passed over the uh, Hebrew homes when they were in Egypt getting ready to leave. And why did the angel pass over those houses and not the Pharaoh's house and other houses? There was blood on the door frame above the door. And Jesus said, this blood is the blood of that land. This blood, you don't have to put it on your door. But when you drink it, remember, you remember that I am that lamb. Also celebrates the unleavened bread, calls it the feast of the unleavened bread. Because they didn't have time to bake regular bread, so they made unleavened bread because they had to hurry away. And Jesus said, My body is that bread. It's what's going to sustain you. So when we have this little piece of bread and this little bit of juice, it reminds us that Passover lamb and the unleavened bread was what led the, the Israelites out of Egypt to safety, to salvation from slavery. But Jesus' blood and Jesus' body is what saves us from eternal death and forgiveness. So, something that doesn't seem like it has a whole lot of value to it, you look at what's behind it. It's the whole thing. Now, it says that he had this with the twelve. But it also says that Judas had already betrayed him, had already sold him for uh, 30 pieces of silver. So did Jesus, when the gold came around, he said, uh-uh, not you, Judas. Nope. He also told Peter, you know what, tonight you're going to deny me three times, so you can't have any. No. He said, yes, you're going to deny me three times. going to be perfect all the time? Are there going to be times where we're going to say, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm going to have that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go here. Yeah, I'm covered, right? But there are times where we even deny because it's uncomfortable. So my prayer today as we take communion, that we remember that Jesus, his blood and his body, was given to everyone, even those that deny him, even those that betray him, because it's his wish that we all be in That's the value that's behind these little elements. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that even though we are sinners, even though we, like Judas, like Peter, like the others, will fall away at times, bring us back and remind us in these elements how much you gave 
And even the characters in Squid Game who decide, you know what, I don't care about this big piggy bank of money. I really just care about these other people that are in here. I hate what's happening to them. I want to help them. They get cornered into these choices that are dictated by the big plexiglass piggy bank full of money. They don't have really any other options. The only way out of the game is death, and every death is horrible. Squid Game depicts a world where power or money is lord, kind of like Alex. This week, I heard an interview of a non-Christian person who works in the movie industry, and they were talking about this show, Squid Game. Squid Game, and he—he's not so he's not a Christian, and he said, "Oh, I really like that show because it." Really, is a, it's exaggerated, but it's a picture of what my life is like. And I was like, that sounds really bleak. But then I was also talking to a Christian young adult, and she wasn't talking about this show, but, but she was even lamenting that in this world, trying to make, she's a young adult, she's trying to make career choices, and she was like, I have all these values that come from my Christian faith, and I feel like none of my choices, none of my options actually enable me to participate in all those values. If I, if I choose this thing that helps promote these values, it actually harms these other ones over here. And there's no, there's no win. This is, what, this is the world that we have inherited. But what if someone could change the rules of the game from inside? would be the new rules. Yes, Ron, you nailed it. That's what it says right here in my notes. <laughs> in case the recording didn't pick this up, Ron said, the new rules of the game would be love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is really what the Gospel of Matthew is about. There is this game that we're all stuck in, and somebody came to change the rules of the game from the inside. Somebody who taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's be clear, God did not impose this game that we're in. We're in it because of a sinful decision that was made at the beginning of human history, but also because we continue to make decisions that play into this, just like the people in the show, they, they were given, they were actually given a glimpse of what was going to happen to them, and they were given the option to get out of the game, and they all came back. This is kind of what we do. But God intended the world and human relationships to work differently. Maddie, is there a slide for... So I want to contrast... It's there. I, I made a slide this morning at 6 o'clock. So if it doesn't get up here, it's not a big deal. I can still about it. But it might be helpful to look at. Well, I'll talk about it while she's pulling it up. Um... Rules of engagement. In Empire, the focus is me first. 
In the kingdom, the focus is God first and then others. In empire, the goal of the game, the goal of life is power or money. And it is an illusion. In the kingdom, the goal is relationship. Relationship with God, with relationship with each other, relationship with creation. And that is a lasting reality. Empire is ruled by, thank you, by mammon. That's an old-fashioned word that Jesus uses in some translations of the Bible that's kind of money and power. That's the ruler. In the kingdom, Jesus is the king. And the people, the citizens of empire, try for their whole lives to gain authority over each other. But in the kingdom, we want to gain authority over money and other physical resources and other things that could become idols to us. So they don't boss us around. We have authority over those things. That's what God wanted. He wanted human beings to have authority over creation. In empire, relationships are a means to an end. People use each other. But in the kingdom... If money is necessary at all, it is a means to an end. It is not the focus. It is not the goal. So, today's passage, scripture passage, is a series, it's a big story, but it's a series of vignettes, also overlapping scenes of something that's happening as Jesus' life is winding up to the cross. And they show different groups or individuals having to kind of face that the rules of the game are changing and how are they going to react? Are they going to keep playing by empire rules or are they going to keep playing by kingdom, or are they going to start playing by kingdom rules? And so I'm going to, we're going to see if you guys can see it. We'll start with some easy ones. Let's look at the Pharisees and the elders of the people first. I'll read that piece of the passage. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or they may, there may be a riot among the people. Okay, so are these guys operating according to the kingdom the empire rules or kingdom values? Why? Sneaky. Murder isn't love. Well, they, yeah, correct. <laughs> okay, God is nowhere in that. Right. And they're kind of, they're basing their decisions. It's like, okay, we need to get rid of this person. And, but we are afraid of what's going to happen with these other people. So they're kind of managing these relationships, manipulating them. There's nothing um, supporting human life or flourishing in what they're doing. And you're right, Paul, there's nothing of God in there. All right, so let's look at Judas. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And 
priority goes. Why? Money creates rights. Sneaky again. Yep. Okay, this one might be a little trickier. We're gonna there's and there's two kind of sets of people. There's the woman, and according to the Gospel of John, it's Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, um, and the woman who anoints Jesus. And then there are the disciples in this one scene. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right, so Mary, is she operating according to the kingdom or according to empire? Why? Love was more important than the money. Hospitality. What could be both? What's she trying to, what's the end? extent i it's not really clear how much i mean maybe she was a little bit more prudent than the guy disciples about what was going to happen <laughs> i don't know okay she loved yes essentially she's taking from her own resources and pouring it out on jesus so what about the disciples Okay, so if she had just done it and Jesus wasn't being prepared for burial, it would be okay. To question it, okay? Right. Okay. Let's yes. Let's bring this back. So it is this is tricky. And I like that we're wrestling with this. This is um I, I this is how we should approach the Bible. We should really, like, dig in and wrestle with these things. So, yes, John throws Judas under the bus. Um, <laughs> but Matthew is claiming that all the disciples actually felt this way. So, yes, probably Judas clearly felt this way because he really wanted to pocket the money. But maybe the other disciples, that their reasons were a little bit more generous. Um, so let's... And, and, also, to be fair to the other disciples, 
right before this passage, Jesus is telling a bunch of other famous parables, and the last one that he tells is the parable of the sheep and the goats, which is about what? bad, sort of. Kind of. Believers and non-believers. Well, so it's about people it's about people in need and the sheep are the people who have helped the people who are in need and the goats are the people who didn't and Jesus basically makes the point that whatever you do for the least of these you've done to me. So, it would kind of make sense, after that, hearing that parable, what the disciples might be like, oh, she just dumped a ton of money on his head. I mean, it's Jesus, but like, what can we do with this? Meanwhile, Jesus just told us about like helping people, feeding the poor, and visiting people in prison. And so, like, obviously we need to, we need to do this. I don't think they should be blamed for their protest. However, a little side note about stewardship, because there have been a lot of conversations about stewardship in different corners lately. Um, even stewardship can become empire-ish. Sometimes even our good deeds can become self-serving. So like, obviously, Judas, when he protests, he's just in this for the personal gain. There are definitely people out there who do good community work, but they are siphoning out more money than is reasonable, um, or whatever. There are people that get into this kind of thing for personal gain. That makes it really tough for those of us that are not in it for personal gain, but still need to get paid, because a lot of people assume that that's everybody. Um, most of us have, or most people who are Christians, have more integrity than that, but sometimes our good works can fuel our sense of self-righteousness. Our good works or our generosity, we, we might, because we're not righteous in ourselves, and we, we might think, well, I'm so generous, not like that person over there, that's empire-ish. We might be giving out of a sense of reluctant duty. That's not horrible. But the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus said that God loves a cheerful giver. So really, if we're giving, if we're stewarding the Lord's money, there should be some joy in it. Also, this week I saw a protest on somebody who was talking on Twitter um, about tithing, and they said, tithing seems really sketchy to me. It's basically bribing God. And I was like, it's only bribing God if that's why you're tithing. If you're tithing because, then God owes you. That's a bribe. But if you're tithing because, it's a guideline that's given in the Bible, and you know that you need to worship through giving, and you're and you're rejoicing, and it's a good, you're hoping that God will provide for you, but you're tithing out of obedience and love, that's a different thing. Anyway, 
There are all kinds of ways that our giving, our stewardship, our good works can become kind of empire-ish. Also, there's a little tricky thing happening here in this particular scene. The disciples are kind of trying to dictate what someone else should do with their resources. They are saying, they're hypothetically helping others. Oh, we could have sold this and given it to the poor. It wasn't theirs to sell. <laughs> it didn't cost them anything. Mary and the sheep in Jesus' parable are each giving something that costs them personally, and Jesus himself is the recipient. Mary loves the Lord her God with her whole self, and it's represented in the expensive perfume that she offers. The sheep in the parable love their neighbors as themselves. It's not clear that the disciples actually are loving the poor. They're just offended. They say, why this waste? They're basically saying Jesus is a waste. Neither Mary nor the sheep in the parable are playing by the rules of the game. They are changing the game from the inside. So, we still what are we supposed to do? We still live in the game. Sometimes, even when we're trying to break out of the squid game, we still miss more often than we hit. Simon Peter does not intend to deny Jesus. We know he loves Jesus. But it's really hard to stop doing things one way when we've done them that way our whole lives. We are programmed to protect ourselves. Simon Peter denies Jesus out of self-interest, out of self-preservation, maybe even out of disillusionment. Um, he's still on the, on the right team, but he falls into some empire patterns there. The disciples with Jesus in the garden, they don't intend to fall asleep. If you kept reading down to verse 43, it says they couldn't keep their eyes open. We know they love Jesus. Sometimes when we're learning to live life like Jesus, instead of playing the game of empire, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, like Jesus says. Have you ever thought about that saying, though? Isn't flesh supposed to be bad? It often gets interpreted that way, right? So then, shouldn't our flesh be, shouldn't we want our flesh to be weak? Shouldn't the goal be, like, keep the flesh weak? Right? Right. So, if the spirit is willing, is that the most important part? Jesus, weak flesh equals yielding to temptation. Jesus came to reconcile. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And honestly, usually that part is easier than love the Lord your God with all your strength. The strength part means all of this, the physical, material, 
parts of ourselves. Maybe it's a problem if our strength is weak. God made this too. The game changes when we offer every part of ourselves, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength in love, first to God, and as we do that, to our neighbor. Jesus changed the game, and he showed us how. John 15, he said, Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is God in person, literally in flesh. Every part of his humanity engaged, affirmed, and was fully dedicated to God. All of it. Jesus offered his heart, soul, mind, and strength in love to his Father and through that to us. All of us. And he shared the meal representing his sacrifice even with his own betrayer, as Barb reminded us. That is opposite of how the game of empire works. But it's exactly how life with Jesus works. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't need me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't need me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. So the question for us for the week, I think, is, Am I playing Empire's game, or am I living kingdom life? Is my spirit willing and how can my flesh be strengthened to continue to offer myself fully to Jesus for the long haul? Tim is going to share with us uh, our communion song. Usually we sing the communion song, but um, we're going to just listen and meditate as Tim and Sandy present it for us and, and we examine our hearts before the Lord, and then we'll have... Studying the scriptures and 
heard some stories about a man who's teaching me to tell me he's turning me to I hear the wind cry, the people sing, or she on a blessed be the king. A young man riding on a donkey's coat. Is he Messiah? Is this our only hope? Is this the day of my Lord? Is he the Holy Son of God? Pesach feast I can't believe it He's washing off his feet Now I see He breaks the bread And drinks the wine Something about him His countenance divine Is this the day Of my Lord Is he the holy Lamb of I wandered through the open street to the garden of Gethsemane. My eyes, I saw him betrayed with a kiss by one of his twelve. He said, This has taken place so the writings of my prophets might be fulfilled. Then they took him away. Stories about the high priest house. They took him there to Caiaphas, no doubt. The illustrated trial, I can picture the scene. Though he's done nothing, they're sure to make him bleed. Is this the day of our Lord? Is he the holy? of God they're taking him to Pilate did you hear they're taking him to Pilate they'll crucify him for sure and they won't have to deal with the son of man no more
days later, the morning red. Yeshua ben Joseph has risen from the dead. Now all the scripture that I've read has come alive. He is the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice. This is the day of our Lord. He is the Holy Lamb of God. This is the day of my Lord. He is the Holy Son of God.